are you doing today? Tell your face you're doing okay. It's all right to have a smile on your face in the Lord's house. It is a good day. Uh, but we could, sure could use a rain, couldn't we? Well, we need to pray that the Lord sends us some rain. But we know he's faithful. and He always meets our need in due time. We never doubt that the Lord has a plan. He always is on top of things. Nothing ever catches him sleeping. And I am so glad to know that, especially in the day and time in which we live. Um, it, if there's a time when, when you have thought, man, Jesus ought to be just, his foot ought to be in the doorstep of, of coming back. Uh, sometimes I think it must, it must be today, tomorrow, next week. It just, the way things are going. Anyway, let's get on a happier, uh, a happier subject. Uh, but, of course, the sovereignty of God is a happy subject when you believe that he's in control. At any rate, I want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us today, we're sure happy you're here. Um, you can fill out a visitor card in a number of ways. If there's one, a physical one in the pew in front of you, you just fill it out and drop it in the offering plate. Or you can actually take your phone and scan this little scanner thing here with your, uh, pr with your camera. And you can fill out one online. If you're visiting with us online, just look below the video description um, and you'll find a link there. A few announcements to make tonight. Um, there will be a choir meeting at 5.30, so just make sure that um, if you're interested in joining choir that you're here for that. Um, also, next Sunday, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper during the, the morning worship. It's a fifth Sunday. We'll have lunch in the fellowship hall after, the mor after morning worship, and then we'll watch a movie in the fellowship hall at 6.30 next Sunday night. It, the time may change. I haven't figured out what movie we're going to watch, but that time may change, so I'll let you know next week. Um, children's Choir, again, tonight. Uh, they're going to sing a song next Sunday morning uh, during worship, and so they need to practice. And so I guess your, your last practice time will be tonight. Okay. All right, so if you're a kiddo interested in being a part of that, come to, and meet in the fellowship hall, right? All right, good deal. Um, also, it's that time of the year where we're getting together our blessing boxes for Arctic Barnabas. If you want to be a part of that, there is a list of items that you can donate, and there's a box out there for you to put those in, and we need to shift the boxes around September 15th. Finally, our friends at Crossway have graciously donated some books for free to our church. This is called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and it's the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. So uh, Ortland uses scriptures, and then he also uses some of the writings of Puritans, which they really do understand God's heart, uh, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. So this is a free book for you. I hope you'll take one. It's, it's very easy to read, very devotional. Um, it will encourage you. And if you're, not a, if you're someone who struggles to sit down and read for a long time, the chapters are short. They're like four or five pages long. So please take one. Take one for a friend or a family member. We have 200 copies. If you're listening at home and you would like one, email Email me at CherokeeBaptist at Yahoo.com, and I'll gladly send you one or bring you one. All right. Any other announcements we need to make before we have our call to worship? All right. Call to worship this morning. Um, I want to read from the New Living Translation. Now, this is a departure for me because the New Living Translation is a paraphrase, but I thought it captured well the thoughts of Psalm 73. So if you would listen, this is a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. 
They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And I think we can probably feel some connection to that as we look at the wickedness in our world and say, Lord, don't you see this? And the psalmist is a very interesting question here. He asks, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. But then he comes to his senses and he says, if I had really spoken this way to others, he's talking to God, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. Again, he talks to God. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, as for us, How good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. May that adequately capture how we feel this day. And let's stand and worship the Lord together.
Good morning. How many of you guys know where Mexico is? You do? Which direction is it from here? Uh, south. South. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I went way down into Mexico about 16 years ago, and it wasn't just for this purpose, but while I was there, because I had a brand new, very first grandchild, a little girl, I wanted to find her a tea set for her. Any of you girls have tea sets? It's fun to have tea parties. You guys don't have tea parties, do you? Good. <laughs> okay. Well, what I learned is in every little town I went to, each family that made this pottery, and this is called Talavera. Can you say Talavera? Talavera. Let me hear you say Talavera. Can you say it? Talavera. Every family that made this pottery had a different pattern. Each pattern was different, and so... You could shop around until you found a pattern that you really liked. And I found a family in a little town called Dolores Hidalgo, a little bitty town. And this is the pattern they made. But if you look closely, the colors are the same in it, right? But is the pattern the same? See? Every single piece. And by the way, I went for a tea set and I came home with a whole set of dishes <laughs> because I just love dishes. So this, this was what was interesting to me. Every single piece was different. And then th this is made in a place in Mexico. It, well, it started out in Puebla, Puebla, Mexico. Puebla, Mexico, that's the name of the town. A 
weird name. It sounds different than Cherokee, right? <clears throat> then there's another place in the mountains called Santa Rosa. <clears throat> and this is called Myolica. Myolica. <clears throat> different colors, right? And bigger patterns. Uh, not the little intricate designs like Talavera. And what I learned is that over 500 years ago, the Spaniards came from Spain and the people in Mexico learned how to make this. And so there's Maiolica pottery even in Spain and Italy. <clears throat> but each piece is hand painted and is different. And so here's what I was thinking about. God is a creator, right? He created the entire universe. And the Bible tells us that we are made in his image. So even though we can't create like God creates, he made us in his image and we have a creative nature. Um, and everybody's different. Everybody on earth is different. Even identical twins have differences about them. Um, if I gave everyone in your family all of the paintbrush and all of the colors that are in this pottery and asked you to paint something, each one of you would paint something different, right? None of them would look the same. Well, it's just like us. God makes each one of us different. We all have different talents, different looks, uh, different gifts and qualities about us that make us different. And so even though we are created in God's image, we're not exactly like him. We know that God is love, and we're capable of loving people, right? But not like God loves. Um, God is, do you know what omniscient means? He, everywhere? That's omnipresent, close. He is, he's everywhere. We, we can only be in one place. I'm not out there in the foyer right now, am I? No, I can only be one place at a time, but God is omnipresent. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. I know some things. In fact, I know a lot of stuff. But I don't, I mean, God knows everything. So we are created in his image. We're like him in some ways, but we're not like him in every way. And we have a creative nature about us. And to me, that is something so amazing about humans is that we can create things, think up things. We can be architects and designers and cooks. Um, God is amazing in the way he created us. And let's just praise him for that, okay? Father God, we just praise you this morning. We thank you for the way you created us. Each one of us is so different. Father, we thank you for the differences that we see as we look around us um, in all of your creation, all of the different ways you create people. Father, we just praise you for those differences. 
Lord, we just ask you this morning to touch the hearts of these children and draw them closer to you, Lord, because you are the one who created them. You are the one, Father, who will call them, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We introduced a song to you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tune is familiar, but the words may be new, so let's sing this together.
our friend, our hope. Our life is just a vapor, and you are eternal. Say what you want to say in this service this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. That last song, I sure appreciate. Um, Stephanie and I, I'll tell you this story while you're turning to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, find a pew Bible, turn to the back, and find page 148, and you'll be at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Anyway, as I was saying, um, when Joey got hurt on the football field a week ago Friday, um, I was just walking around like in a stupor, you know, um, thinking, man, this was not supposed to happen. And why? And um, it was a combination of being disappointed and disgusted and hurt for him and all these different kinds of things. And uh, I felt like I just kind of failed in that moment in prayer. But I'm just so grateful that in my stumbling and fumbling and bumbling around and just because my heart was directed toward the Lord, it was like I was that kid that doesn't like the peas on his plate and just pushing it around, and it was just, man. And that's, that song that we just sang, it's, it's so encouraging. You know, are you weak and heavy laden? Are you cumbered with a load of care? Um, Jesus still wants to hear from you. I mean, that's kind of the point of this book, Gentle and Lowly. Jesus does want you to bring your burdens, your sins, your aches, your pains to him. He's fine with you saying, God, this I don't, I don't like this. He's fine with that. He wants you to come. In fact, he wants to draw near to you. And Scripture promises that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. At any rate, um, I hope that that song encourages you like it encouraged me. It's been, I grew up on that song. It's been a long time, though, since I've, since I've sang it. Well, I hope by now in all of my rambling you have found Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word. One verse this morning from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, and this is God's Word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Father, as we consider our salvation, how great of a salvation you have wrought for us in your Son Christ. Uh, how great a salvation you purposed, how great a salvation you planned, how great a salvation you brought about through your Son, and I thank you personally, Lord, for, for saving me. Uh, I ask, Lord, if there are any here this morning who's, who do not understand why they need to place their faith in Christ and His sacrifice, I pray that it would become so apparent to them today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch their heart and they would understand their need to repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would, um, for those of us who we know we're saved, may we once again be amazed at the grace that you have shown us in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Salvation does not begin with us. It's not a bottom-up endeavor. Salvation is top-down. God plans salvation. God is under no obligation to save anyone. It would have been perfectly fine. No one could have 
uh, quibbled or argued with God, taking him to court to say, no, you must save us. We messed up, but you're under an obligation to save. No, 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 no. God is under no obligation to save. But out of his love and mercy, God saves. God saves. God purposed to save, and he planned to save. In eternity past, that blows my mind, that God in eternity past purposed to save sinners, and he planned to save them. God the Father planned for God the Son to become human and to suffer in the place of sinners. That's the title of this morning's message, Getting Saved. He suffered in our place. God the Father planned for God the Son to become human and to suffer in the place of sinners in order to redeem them. This morning's text, Galatians 3.13, in a very, very concise way, explains all the problems humans face in relation to God. Also, the price paid to fully address that problem and the proof that the problem has been fully removed. So we'll start with the problem. The the problem, uh, Paul says easily in, in verse 13, It's the curse of the law. We'll get to that in just a minute. He elaborates on this in verse 10. So if you have your Bible open still, look down at verse 10. There it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, some of these words in this particular verse, 310, those are highlighted in blue. It says, all who rely on works. What that means is that you rely on works to provide merit and right standing before God in uh, in order to receive the blessing. Oh, yeah, I probably can't even, oh, you can see the blue. can't see it from back here. Squirrel. Um, The purpose, uh, what I aim to, to draw from this and what Paul aims to help us to understand is that you must do all the law. If you're going to rely on merit, meritorious good works to put you in right standing with God, then you are obligated to abide by, as this verse says, all things written in the book of the law. In other words, you must be perfectly righteous before a perfectly righteous God under the law. But here's the problem. No one can do all of the law. Because of sin. Now, a person could outwardly conform to the letter of the law, but still they would fall short in the spirit of the law. Remember, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into heaven. And then farther on, in I think in chapter 5 and 6 of Matthew, Jesus says numerous times, You've heard it said, don't do this, but I say unto you, and then he talks about how conformity is more than outward. There is inward conformity. Another way of saying this is this. Obeying the law should happen out of love for God and love for neighbor. Jesus said all of the law can be condensed into these two phrases. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there we have the problem, right? So if you rely on the law, Paul says, you're cursed because, one, you can't do it because you're sinful. And two, you'd have to keep it all. So 
So Paul quotes here from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 27, 26, and says, if you're going to rely on works, you're under a curse. Because cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now James says it a little bit differently. He says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point of it is guilty of all of it. I'm pretty good, God. You know, I can check off most of the boxes the problem is most is not perfectly righteous for a perfectly righteous God. The standard is perfection. So we see that the problem is, as Paul says in verse 13, the curse of the law. The curse of the law simply means that if you disobey God's law, you are enslaved to the curse. Now, there's no mention of slavery here in the text, but the word redeemed points to Slavery. This is a word that had a Greco-Roman context to it. If a person was a slave in a Greco-Roman context, they, they might not be a slave for their whole life. They could actually purchase their freedom. And so what we understand and, and when they purchased their freedom, it was called redemption. They could redeem themselves. So when Paul talks about being redeemed, the, the redemption that Paul is talking about is from the curse of the law, which he views as slavery. So when you disobey God's law, you're enslaved to the curse. And he says elsewhere in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all are enslaved to the curse of the law and are prevented from enjoying the blessing of being in a, a right relationship with God. That is the problem. Now we turn to the price. Now again, there is a price that must be paid in order for redemption to take place. I've said it this way, to be freed from this slavery. Again, this slavery that Paul's talking about is the curse of being under the law because you, you disobey the law. Therefore, you're cursed. To be freed from this slavery, another must redeem you. Another must purchase your Freedom. Again, as I said just a moment ago, in the Greco-Roman context, a slave could actually work and save money and purchase their own freedom. So Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he's writing to a, a group of people who are Greco-Romans. They, they, they speak Greek. They're not Jews. So they understand that they need to be redeemed from the curse of the law. Problem is... A slave could save up enough of his own money and do it. But the problem with us is there's no way that we can save up works that, are, that earn us enough merit to say, Here, God, you ought to accept me and, and have me be in right standing before you. Now, Paul's also drawing on when he says slavery or redemption. He's also pointing back uh, to Israelite history. And Israelite history associated redemption with one of the most important, if not the most important, Old Testament event, and that was the exodus from Egypt. Now, could, a Hebrew, could the Hebrew people in Egypt, could they earn their own redemption? No, they couldn't. They could not work their way out of the slavery in which they were in in Egypt. And therefore, God paid a price in order to redeem them out of Egypt and bring them to himself. Now again, putting Galatians 3.13 back up, it says, Christ redeemed us. It tells us what the price is. By becoming a curse for us. 
So Christ redeemed us, and the price that he paid to redeem us from the curse of the law was to become a curse for us. That's the price. Now, I want to break down the words where it says, by becoming a curse for us. There's some deep theological truth that I think you can latch onto and grab hope from and, and see, man, God really meant business when he said, the price, the first word there is buy, and it indicates, again, the price of redemption. So Christ became a curse for us by becoming. That's what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now that word becoming, that Greek word, it describes a person who is entering into a new condition, something that they did not enjoy before. So you think about John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now prior to that, the pre-incarnate Christ did not have a body. He existed spiritually. But at His incarnation, Jesus entered into a new condition, something that he was not previously. He became flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, if you're familiar with that text, it says, For God, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So prior to us becoming Christians, prior to a person becoming a Christian, they are unrighteous, unsaved, unclean, lost, sinful. But when a person is joined to Christ, then that person becomes something that they were not before. Formerly in Adam, unrighteous, unclean, sinful. Now in Christ, you've become the righteousness of God in him. Something that you had not enjoyed previously. Now I want to draw attention to, and I'm going to be a little bit of a Greek nerd this morning, but I think it is important here. When that, that word becoming has a certain tense to it. Now in Greek, Greek tenses will have a tendency to, um, they will help us to understand, not necessarily that it happened in the past, present, or future. It does do that but it will declare whether or not something is finished or whether it is ongoing. So something can be ongoing in the past. I was writing a book. That, that's something that was ongoing in the past. But if I said I wrote a book, you said you could understand it was a completed action. It was finished in the past. Jesus became a curse for us, a completed action. Why do we need to know that? There's nothing else for us to do. We don't have to become something in order to redeem ourselves. Christ became the curse for us. And there's also uh, the way that this particular um, Greek word, this Greek verb uh, is, is in the text. It's in what's called the middle voice. To help you understand middle voice, if I told you I shaved today, then you would understand that I was the one that initiated the action and I was the one that received the action. Why is this important? It's because Jesus became a curse for us. In other words, he willingly 
became a curse. He sought it out. The Father sent him. It's not as if God tied Jesus' arm around his back and said, you have to go. The, the Son willingly wanted to go, and he became a curse for us. So the price is that Christ became a curse. He was judged and punished for sin against God. Now, recall that we've talked about being guilty in Adam, that every human being is guilty of Adam's sin and worthy of Adam's punishment. But Jesus was not guilty in Adam. Remember, last week we talked about how when Jesus was born, he was born, he was, when Jesus was conceived, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a natural birth like you and I do. So therefore, because the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary and she conceived and bore a child, he was not under the guilt and curse of Adam. So Jesus wasn't guilty. Furthermore, he lived a perfect life. There was never, ever a point when Jesus was disobedient. Now, we know this, right? But here's the point. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus, who was completely righteous and holy, who was neither guilty of Adam's sin, nor was he ever guilty of any disobedience or transgression against God's law. This holy and righteous Savior became a curse for us and was judged and punished for our sin against God. Notice again, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There are four ways that you can understand, and I think they're all applicable here, how Christ became a curse for us. First of all, he became a curse in place of us. This is talking about Jesus as our substitute. Now, I think we understand the curse for our sin and disobedience should have fallen to us, But instead, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse in place of us as our substitute for us. Furthermore, when Christ became a curse for us, he became a curse specifically for us. If I were to put flowers in this room and expect that my wife knew that I had gotten them for her without saying, hey, I did this for you. She wouldn't know that I did this specifically for her. I believe what Paul's trying to tell us is that when he says for us, yes, there is salvation for all, all people who want to come to God in Christ, but it is specifically applied to people who accept, who place their faith and trust in Jesus. Furthermore, the price is paid. Jesus became a curse for us in terms of doing it on our behalf because we are unable to redeem ourselves. There's no way that a lost person can save up enough works, money, merit, whatever, and, and present themselves before God. So Christ became a curse on our behalf. Finally, Christ became a curse for us in the sense he did it for our good. For our benefit, 
It's not that Christ did it, and now he's harboring ill feelings against us. <clears throat> he willingly did it, was glad to do it, and sought our good. So we have the problem and the price. Now we turn to the proof. What is the proof that the problem really has been dealt with? That God really did focus in on the problem. God paid the price to redeem lost sinners through his son. What is the proof that that actually happened? What's the proof that Christ actually did become a curse? Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For, it is written, there's a connection here that Paul, that's why the word for is there. For it is written. And so Paul cites here, if you look at the footnotes in your in your text, you'll notice that there's a footnote that will take you to Deuteronomy 21-23. Now I want to put Deuteronomy 21-22 and 23 on the screen so we can see this in its context. It says here, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. I'm going to stop right there. Someone could be stoned to death. They could be um, in pay, however, whatever the cause of death was, then they were to be, if they were hung on a tree. So the hang on the tree is not the cause of death, but, but Paul sees an Old Testament parallel here. That, that you could associate Christ being hung on the cross with a criminal being hung on a tree. So if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So this helps us to understand why people hurried to get Christ off the cross. They were following the Old Testament law. They understood that the person who hanged on a tree was cursed by God. Now I want to put on the screen, and this is, this is long, I understand that. But th I thought this was a very good uh, way of understanding the proof that God, uh, in this verse, the, the proof that we have that Christ really did become a curse. And this is from Timothy George in one of the commentaries I consult. And it says... While it is true that being hung on a tree was not the curse itself, but rather the public proof that one so impaled had incurred the curse. So again, it's not the hang on the tree. Uh, it's not being hung on a tr the tree that's the curse itself. It's the hung being hung on the tree that's the public proof that a person has been cursed. He continues, the clear inference of the New Testament is that the death of Christ by crucifixion was not a quirk of fate, but instead the deliberate design of God. Thus, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he declared that Jesus was handed over to his executioners to be put to death by crucifixion in accordance with God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Christ became a curse in accordance with the Scriptures. And according to Scripture, and if we follow Paul's logic here, here's his logic. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ hung on a tree. Therefore, Christ became a curse. And God publicly proved that Christ was a curse by 
displaying him on the cross in accordance with the law, in accordance with the scriptures. But furthermore, this proof was that it happened not by a quirk of fate, but by the deliberate design of God. It was in accordance with his set purpose and foreknowledge. It was God's plan to put Christ, to make Christ a curse for us. It was God's plan to prove publicly that Christ became a curse. God doesn't want us to wonder that Christ actually fixed the problem. No, God put him on public display. His son was cursed for us. The final proof, Paul gives us proof that, that Christ became a curse because he refers to the Old Testament as written. But he also helps us to understand that we are truly free of the curse. God proved that. And again, I direct you to the word redeemed. This word is in that particular text, tense, that demonstrates completed action. Nothing left for us to do. Christ redeemed. Full stop. Not dot, 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 yeah, but. See fine print down in the lower part of of, of the page. None of that. In fact, in the, in the Greek text, you know, it's in a different order than in English. It says this. It says, Christ us redeemed. The problem was the curse of the law. The price that was paid was that Christ became a curse for us. And God proved that his son became a curse and that that curse actually truly redeemed us. So now, where does that place us? What do we do? How do we respond? Here's a quote from Martin Luther. He says, There is no other way to avoid the curse but to believe. And with assured confidence to say, Thou art, thou Christ art my sin and my curse. Or rather, I am thy sin, thy curse, thy death, thy wrath of God, thy hell. And contrariwise, which means opposite, Thou art my righteousness, my blessing, my life, my grace of God, my heaven. Therefore, we are the cause that he was made a curse. Nay, rather, we are his curse. What do we do with what God has shown us in this text? We believe and we say. We believe and we confess. Paul says in in Romans 10, 9 through 13, Because if you confess... With your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. We'll stop right there. You can believe that Christ redeems sinners from the curse of the law. And when you believe that, you will not be put to shame. Paul continues, For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe today that Christ was cursed on your behalf? in order to free you from the curse, then confess it today. And if you believe with your heart, 
Christ was that curse for you. And you confess that he is that, that curse. He became a curse for you. You believe it. Then you will be saved. Because God puts no one to shame who believes in him. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you do that today? Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the very succinct way that Paul explains how Christ became a curse so that the curse of the law might be removed and that those who would call on Christ in faith and believe in his work can be saved from the curse of the law. No other way. Father, if there are any here that don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, in other words, if they have not believed and confessed that he is the Christ, he, is, he became the curse, if they have repented of their faith and, tr- and, and put their tr- repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ, I pray this day that they would confess the name of Christ and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Jesus can be yours today if he is not. He's waiting for you. Let's sing together. from our prayer list. Um, want to give us an update on Les? Um, so his cancer has returned to his liver. There is a spot that they cannot cut out because of where it's located. So he has started um, some new treatment that they're trying. And uh, we, just, we just need prayers for that. Okay. Jared's stepdad, Les Dawson. So let's pray for him and his uh, fight against cancer. Um, Calvin Hector has come home and is doing better, recovering from back surgery. Um, pl- please pray for Chris Wilson. He is a uh, Texas game warden who's fighting for his life against COVID. Um, pray for the uh, Corinne Shields family. Dr. Shields used to be, uh, I think at one time, was an uh, interim here. Is that correct? Uh, but Corinne, his wife, uh, passed away recently, so we need to pray for them. Um, got a praise for Don and Christine Shannon. They had a granddaughter born uh, to them this week, so praise God for that. 
Ken had his surgery um, on his hand this week, and it went well. We thank you. Uh, the Lord was faithful there. Continue to pray for my mother-in-law. Um, she is um, kind of on hold with her chemo at this point because uh, she's got something going on with her elbow, and so that's on hold for just just a bit. So we pray that that gets resolved so that she can resume the chemo. Um, Joey wants me to say thanks to all of you who called and texted and and sent emails and cards and and we have enough cookies yet. We've got a lot of cookies, so thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, let me think what else. Uh, uh, Larry's brother-in-law, Ken Shannon, um, has got some blood clots that he's dealing with, so pray for him. Do you know an update on Matt Reyes? Okay, thank you. Um, pray for the Oriana Orozco family, and, and that's connected to um, Josie Huron, correct? Okay. It was her daughter, and... Um, that, that whole family is just really having a really tough time. Um, anything else we need to uh, bring up before we have a time of prayer? Okay, well, let's have a time of prayer. Uh, if you would, please stand. We'll pray, and then we will uh, recite the Great Commission together and be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed grateful that um, you are a God who cares about the broken and the hurting of those who are suffering. We thank you that you demonstrated it on the cross. We pray for all of those that were mentioned here this morning. Uh, specifically lift up uh, Les to you, Lord, and pray uh, that you'd draw him to yourself, um, that you would heal his body, that you would give wisdom to those who are dealing with him uh, medically, and that he would uh, respond well to the treatments. Uh, we thank you again, Lord, for those that came this morning to worship. We thank you for uh, those that visited with us online. Uh, and here today, we pray, Lord, that they would feel safe to come back again. Uh, we pray that you protect our school and our community as we are seeing an uptick in COVID. Just pray that um, we would survive this uh, again, that your mercy and grace would fall upon us, uh, that you would hide us under the shadow of your wings. We thank you again for how you love us, and we're grateful for Christ our Savior, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.